0: This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue.
1: Hello and welcome to 3D Pod. I'm your host, Maxwell Bogue, with Joris Peels. And today we'll be talking to Melanie Lang from Form Alloy, and we'll be talking about metal 3D printing and all the fun new applications that they've come up with with their metal printers.
2: Um, so, Melanie's startup form, uh, form Alloy is making a lot of noise lately and a lot of interest, and essentially they're taking a technology that uh, was uh, used a long time uh, in various forms called directed energy deposition. And directed energy deposition is a series of technologies that make Metal objects that might be as large as one to five meters and can weld them together or in a 3D way build up these objects. And what you get is a kind of really rough kind of result, a near net shape, which you then machine down using, for example, uh, CNC or other technologies. And this is a technology that could be yeah we're talking about dmls or laser powder bed fusion is usually used for smaller parts like parts of up to like 20 30 centimeters this is a, a technology that might be able to be used for larger things like aerostructures or frames or things like wing spars, and or large parts of spacecraft or satellites uh, so it's a very very exciting technology that not a lot of people know about uh, not a lot of people have heard about and and Melanie decided to, uh, you know, start a startup in this business. And uh, you know, usually this is a she comes from a. And the interesting thing about Melanie's uh, startup is that she came to us from a background of the engineering. So she was a user of 3D printing technology. She tried to make it work for companies like Lockheed. And as a user, she's now stepping into the driving seat, seeing a need for this technology, and uh, and they're evolving their startup uh, accordingly. So that's a really exciting uh, bit. Um, So Melanie, what's, what's, yeah, what is, what is, how would you describe Formalloy?
0: So Formalloy is a company where we design and produce directed energy deposition systems and the components. So we uh, provide those systems and components to our customers so they can develop their own IP using our 3D printers.
2: Okay. And then, and so, so are you offering like the complete solution to people or is it much more like kind of like we work together on this or how does this work?
0: Yeah, so we we provide either a turnkey system or we uh, also provide the components that can be integrated onto a customer's robot cell or if they have an existing production line. So we made it very open so that the transition from prototyping to production is smooth and you can use the same process parameters and equipment. Now, we do offer application development for our customers to help them get those first couple of parts. Uh, really well-defined and ensure that they're high-quality and to their tolerances, and then we hand over the keys to the customer and and let them run with it. That way, they can keep their IP in-house and secure and do their own developments and changes, and they're not relying on us or have to keep coming back to us uh, every time they have a new application.
1: Could you tell us a little bit more about how this differs from the powdered the laser centering systems that are already out on the market?
0: Sure. So with direct energy deposition, which has also been called laser metal deposition, you're blowing powder out of a coaxial nozzle and heating it with a laser and creating a melt pool. So you are blowing the powder where you need it rather than having a bed of powder uh, that you're melting uh. in really thin layers. So the technology is different. Uh, And the applications are are different. And as Joris mentioned, powder bed is uh, great for small parts, you know, very fine-featured. It's a relatively slow process when you compare to a blown powder system like a direct energy deposition. And there's limitations with the materials that can be used with powder bed. Uh, For example, we can do blending of materials on the fly. We can do bimetallic uh, gradient strategies. And we can also do repair where you can put an existing part into the machine and you can repair that part either with the same material or perhaps the superior material for the application. So, for example, I,
1: I'm a manufacturer, which I am. Uh, I have a broken tool, <laughs> or tool that's been overused, uh, and so I can use this technology to actually add material back to the tool to fix it?
0: That's right. You can add material back to the component or the tool So that way you don't have to do a full replacement of that Uh, That, with, with direct energy deposition, you are getting a full metallurgical bond. And so it's not going to, you know, chip off or break off like some of the other additive processes.
1: And it's not subject to like air bubbles or something of that
0: nature. No, there's really, there's really no air bubbles. You certainly have to conduct process parameter studies Mm and to, in order to get a full quality part uh, that doesn't have porosity. Uh, But it, certainly possible to get a fully dense part uh, and uh, use it for repair and out of applications.
1: And what materials can, it, can you do currently?
0: So we work with a very wide range of materials. Uh, we work with uh, nickel super alloys fairly regularly in the, in the space uh, industry, such as Inconel. Really any nickel-based alloy, iron-based alloy or cobalt-based alloy are very straightforward. We also do a lot of work with titanium. Uh, We work with uh, custom-developed alloys that our our customers have developed uh, specifically for their applications. Uh, For example, we've worked with some custom powders from NASA. And then we've also deposited more exotic materials like pure silicon and uh, magnetic materials.
2: One of the big applications for this is repairing turbine blisks or turbine blades. Uh, So that's that's what's done, because there's like millions of turbines worldwide, and a lot of them are like in things like uh, you know engines of tanks and all this kind of stuff, and you can repair them with with DED systems. Absolutely. But you guys are mainly focused on like uh, aerospace.
0: Aerospace is one of the target markets. Uh, We focus on aerospace, energy, and automotive. Although we work with a very wide range of customers, um, both within and outside of those sectors.
2: And if we're looking at aerospace, I mean, a lot of the materials, I mean, if you're looking at Inconel, uh, any of these super alloys, then we're thinking like high temperature applications such as an engine or in, in rocketry or something like that. Is is that kind of the, the, the applications you're seeing or the types of uh, applications that are, are, are really prevalent? Or
0: Yeah, we're seeing a lot of that in aerospace uh, for, you know, high, high temperature, high strength applications. We also see a lot of material combinations coming out uh, for aerospace right now. For example, for a combustion chamber, you might have a custom copper alloy that's optimized for its thermal properties, and you might use an ink canal, uh as a, a clad on the outside of that to improve the strength properties.
2: Mm-hmm. And you can do that. Is that in the same production run, or is that in the same system, or how does that work?
0: Yeah, it's in the same system. So because we're blowing the powder where you need it, when you want to work with that other material or even multi-materials, you control the amount of powder that you're getting from each feeder. So you Mm -hmm. can slowly vary from one alloy to another with some type of strategy, let's say you could increase the composition by 10% of the next alloy, uh, each layer, uh, taking 10 layers to transition. You could also transition more quickly, Uh, just depends on your desired uh, final properties.
2: And if we're looking at functionally graded kind because of, then we're talking like, you know, or at least the the, the opening moves of like functionally graded materials or, or functionally graded parts, right? And right. are you seeing emerging, because that's something that's that's like everyone's talking about it, but there's not a lot of like concrete applications that are known, let's say, uh, or that are, that are mentioned a lot. But, but are you seeing emerging applications oh. in the FGM or functionally graded stuff as well? Or
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and that's that's really where we see it coming out right now is in aerospace. Um for the things that I mentioned, like if you have a, a rocket nozzle components that need to have good thermal properties but also high strength, that might be a great example where you'd want to use a functionally graded material where you you slowly transition uh, in order to get those desired thermal properties. But the part might finish with you know the the Inconel, for example.
2: And is oh, that cool. is that something that's understood by designers and how to really begin to use that? Because it's very new, I think, to to really use this in a because you're essentially making like a new material. It's quite exotic, let's say. Yeah,
0: and and you're right. I think that as engineers, we're we're kind of taught, you know, what the limitations are for design and the abilities that you have with directed energy deposition kind of uh, change a lot of that. Um, so I think it is a learning process. On you know, hey, we can make a component out of multiple materials uh, in a single build uh, for a single component. Uh, so I think it's still a learning process. Now, there there are some softwares available uh, from some universities, uh, I know, and, and perhaps commercially as well, that will develop a very detailed gradient strategy for you. So you can input the materials that you want to use or the desired properties, and it will tell you what each layer should be in order to achieve those properties.
2: So if we're looking at, like, so the interesting thing about these functioning graded materials is that we could do something, like, we could make something, not only clad it, but we could actually sandwich... We could do this multiple times, right? We could do a layer of Inconel and then a bimetallic or whatever. We could do like super crazy mixes and layering of, of, of lots of different oh, could, gradients I, again.
1: Excuse me? I could think of a lot of very cool properties and things that you could do with this. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like a heater mass, for example, going into 3D printing for an FDM. If you could do, you know, the, the heat mass itself in like copper, for better conductivity, but then the tube coming out of it being a non-conductive material or a less heat conductive material, all as one single part, that would be that'd be an interesting way of doing that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's more simple applications as well. So let's say you have two components that needed to be welded that need to be welded together um, that are two different materials. You have to have a, a welder that is certified to do a multi-material weld. Uh, versus if you have a, if you can give all of your welders uh, a a piece where it's half of material A and half of material B on the other side, now you have uh, out in the field somewhere or in some austere location, you just have your welder that's only certified for a single material that can, you know, weld uh, the, the single material onto each side instead of having to have that specialized welder or wait for the specialized welder to get there to weld the, the bimetallic together. How much does this cost? cost. <laughs> <laughs> so our, our basic systems for turnkey systems uh, started around 250k. Uh, they're highly customized, so uh, we always look at what the application is for the customer, and then recommend the configuration for the machine. But for a very basic uh, machine for a research application, for example, you could you can get in at a, a fairly low price point when you look at other large metal additive systems. Right.
2: Well, for 250k, do I have the deposition head, or do I have an actual machine?
0: That would be 250k. will get you a turnkey machine uh, with the with our most basic configuration.
2: That's actually that's a that's a really low entry point compared to where the you know these larger the larger uh, systems uh, you know are found at. Is it is is it your intention to disrupt that market, or you want to augment it, or is it big enough for everyone, or what's your kind of thinking here?
0: I think the market is big enough for everyone. And if you look at what I like to call the metal additive ecosystem chart, which maps out all these different technologies across a spectrum, I really think depending on your application, it's best to look across that entire spectrum and see what, what is going to be the best fit for you. Now, what I like about DED is it's versatile. So you can use it for repair. You can use it for additive applications. You can use it for cladding. And within those spaces you can do things like the the bimetallic ingredient. So I think it's a very, um, has very diverse capabilities. However, I think that there are a lot of applications where a different technology is a better fit. And uh, there are certainly people that have brought parts to us and I've said, you know, look up some powder bed companies because this part is better suited for a powder bed part either because it's small or it has very fine detail that we're not able to achieve uh, with DED. DED really shines for uh, large components, and then, of course, the repair applications and the, the functionally graded materials.
1: What do you classify as a larger component?
0: Yeah, anything that exceeds about, you know, a 200-millimeter cube build volume, I think you're you're starting to get into the, the DED space more. Now, also, if you're working on smaller parts that would fit within that 200 millimeter volume or smaller, but you want to be able to do them very quickly or repair them, then I think that's also a good application for DED.
2: Interestingly, if if we're looking at that, is that the performance envelope? Like, uh, you know, is it bigger than a bread box, uh, smaller than a Volkswagen van kind of of, uh, (laughs) metal parts at the moment? You know, I think it's, interestingly, there's two applications that I think you know, one is, is military aviation and all this other stuff you probably can't talk about, <laughs> radar, uh, whatever, satellites, all this other stuff. One thing that, that I think really is exciting is, is, is the commercial space application. Because in the commercial space world, these guys are taking to 3D printing like no one else. And, and, and also almost universally, they're adopting our technology to get shorter lead times, faster product development, you know, save weight, integrate parts and functionality, lower part count, you know, that kind of thing. Is that an area you're particularly excited about, like commercial space? or?
0: Yeah, especially being an aerospace engineer, I'm super excited about all of the progress that's being made uh, in the commercial space uh, sector. And you're absolutely right. And that's one of the reasons why it's one of our target markets, is because by necessity they're having to adopt these additive technologies uh, in order to get to space and produce these large components that have internal cooling features that you can't achieve or can't achieve very easily with traditional manufacturing. Uh, And like you mentioned, you know, anytime you have a a design change, you know, the turnaround time with additive is is very quick because you don't have the tooling associated with those design changes. So you can iterate a design very quickly and uh, produce your final part, you know, much more efficiently and quickly than you, you can with traditional manufacturing.
2: You know, lightweighting is, I think, something that a lot of people understand. What I think one of the things that I don't really see happening a lot is to opt the, like, internal topology optimization. Like, when we now talk about topology optimization, we're going like, to make stuff look like Geiger made it or something, made stuff look like look a bit weird fractally, right? <laughs> and we're doing it for a weight saving purpose, and they all kind of look the same, all these parts. And But what I really am interested in is this idea of. Is optimizing internal topology. So if we have a gas or a liquid or something flowing, you know, the idea. Let's say we put a golf ball pattern on the inside of this combustion chamber, and everything goes faster or slower or something like that. You know, right. So that is. Are you. You know, is that interesting to you as well? That kind of application, or.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You can you can optimize your design um, much more than you could with with traditional methods, and you can achieve geometries with additive that that you can't even achieve with traditional manufacturing. So I I think all those things together uh, have have really driven the commercial space industry to adopt these technologies and embrace it and show the world that you can create high quality parts uh, with additive manufacturing. And, uh, you know, I think it's great for the industry as a whole, because if it's good enough to uh, get us to space, then it's certainly good enough to... Go onto a, a vehicle or be part of a you know an energy system.
2: Because that that's another interesting thing. I'm thinking I'm thinking of okay. So we're talking also large chambers of any kind of chemicals would be really interesting. Chemical mixing stations or that kind of thing. Also in, in, a, in a in a in a pumping plant or any kind of like petrochemical installation. You know especially due to like time uh, you know, replacement parts that kind of thing. It could be really interesting to use this as well. You know, are, are you seeing a lot of like oil and gas and things like that, or, or more or less costly, let's say, applications in the aerospace? Or,
0: Yeah, I, oil and gas is certainly very interested in this technology as well. Um, and I think it, it's, again, out of necessity. Um, they have large components that they need to be able to repair or replace, and uh, they, they want to be able to use multi-materials, uh, perhaps adding things like corrosion resistance uh, to their existing in infrastructure. And this technology is, is, is there and available uh, to basically improve the properties of their existing components. How did, yeah. how did
1: this technology come about? Like how did you guys invent this from scratch? Or are you using pre-existing systems and then combining them? Or
0: So the, the process of laser metal deposition or direct energy deposition has been around uh, for quite some time. Uh, What we did is we uh, created our our own components such as the deposition head and powder feeders uh, which are optimized for this process. Uh, We also have our controller which gives very precise control and we have full under the hood access to that control so we can implement things like closed loop control. So basically we took a, an existing technology, which is the generic, you know, blown powder, you know, blowing powder and creating a melt pool with a laser and blowing the powder into that melt pool. And we put some science and creativity behind it. And that's what we've used. And that's what the formula technology is based on.
2: Was there a moment, what was the moment where you decided you needed to build this company or, or, or invent this technology? Was there like a, is it was it frustration or opportunity or?
0: Yeah, I think it was opportunity, you know, we, started looking at additive technologies as a, as a hobbyist really as a 3D printing hobbyist you know in the 2010 time frame when the maker fairs started to become more popular and the the maker places started to pop up and you kind of had this whole community primarily of hobbyists that were doing this uh, you know that's when i started getting interested just as an engineer while this is fascinating technology you can, you know, for a few hundred dollars, if you know what you're doing, build your own little printer at at your house and you know print these silly little you know plastic things. And you know the end the end goal wasn't to print these little silly plastic things, but rather to really understand the technology and start thinking about how this can be used uh, to improve you know products that we use every day or advance you know engineering and manufacturing and and that's really, for me, what Formula is all about, it's about taking a technology that's been around for some time, uh, innovating around that basis uh, 3D printing technology, and using it for new applications that's going to help us commercialize space and improve you know, the energy industry, and also, I think, you know helping with reshoring efforts, so allowing companies to keep their own IP and, and keep it more uh, in-house. So that way, you know, everything doesn't have to be outsourced from a manufacturing perspective.
2: And that's, that's, of course, a very topical element in, like, for example, like aircraft and commercial aircraft and stuff like that, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, commercial aircraft is another great example where they need large components. Uh, they have, you know, an iterative design process and test process and the additive capabilities support that very well because they can turn around a component and, and do testing on it very quickly
2: because the, like the, these technologies like the laser cladding technology have been around for decades and like companies like honeywell i think ford also has ip in this uh i think ge from way back as well i mean the, the base like electron beam welding and laser cladding technologies were used in like the shuttle programs and and, and stuff like that and so you know it's kind of a it's a very backwatery thing because a lot of this work, like by Shaki, Optimec, and those guys, was defense-related, and a lot of people didn't know this even existed, even though it was like kind of. So it's a kind of. It feels like a backwatery thing where you're in compared to let's put a metal three D printer in every office, you know. But I think right. it is yeah. where. <laughs> I think it is where the rubber meets the road. You know, it's. I think it is where a lot of really exciting things are going to happen, and then. Is that your aerospace background that you, you focused on this area rather than, you know, go for something more consumer or more looking at something where you could put thousands of these things somewhere?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was my aerospace background and also just the, the understanding that, you know, the, the aerospace and other large industries that, that utilize metal components um, could really use this technology to advance what they were doing. Um, and although it might be, you know, interesting to have, you know, a 3d printer at your house, I think that we're, you know, very far away from the idea where you, you 3d print everything at your house, you know, I just didn't see that as, you know, something that is a lot of value add, uh, you know, at the moment. And so I really focused on where I saw the industries that would be had a need immediately and also would be willing to adopt a new technology.
2: And what like we're seeing in the DMLS space is people are realizing, okay, the part. Well, we actually make the geometry maybe uh, on the machine, but the part is really made in post-processing. So that with the, you know, EDM or de-stressing the part and CNC or tumbling or something, we're really influencing a lot of the part. Um, and is that something that is a priority for you guys as well to kind of move into that whole post-processing chain, or is it less of an issue? Or
0: yeah, I mean, post-processing is is certainly important to DED as well. Um, you know, you do get a full metallurgical bond upon deposition, so there's no post-processing required to have a uh, a functioning component, um, but typically it does require, you know, finished finish machining. Um, it typically requires removal from the build plate unless you're doing a repair application um, or you have a custom fixturing, um, and, uh, you know, we also recommend other post-processing, depending on the application and the uh, the particular geometry of the part, such as a stress relief, or even a, a hipping or high, hot isostatic pressing process um, for a lot of the aerospace applications. Um, mm-hmm. So Formalloy itself uh, isn't expanding into those post-processing, um, but we do work with a, a wide range of vendors and technologies for post-processing um, mm-hmm. in order to deliver a, you know, high quality you know part that they would expect from traditional manufacturing okay, okay. I think that so, it, you know as people get more comfortable with this technology, um, they might be willing to accept things like like slightly less surface finishes if it's not a a requirement for the functionality of the part, but for now, you know you don't want to ask people to change too much, right, so you want to be able to deliver essentially a, an equivalent or better component um so you don't want to really ask customers yet to give up a little bit of surface finish, for example, because they're still getting comfortable and they want they want the the look and feel to be the same, uh, as well as the functionality, and that's that's what we're seeing a little bit as well.
2: Uh, I like that approach because I think it. I've tried the other way around, and then and then you're trying to advise a customer to to pick a part that they, that will print to, to to understand the chain, understand what he's doing, and they always pick the wrong part. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and I don't know. How, I don't know what the hell this is. Uh, but and then they never understand it, and you have to jump to hoops with them, and then you end up in this position where you kind of say, oh, you need to learn to design your whole yeah, either business process or your whole design process for three D printing. You need to master D F A like design for additive manufacturing. And and I, I think that's a really a, kind of a problem for us as an industry because it's kind of like saying like, well, before you really you know know how to eat pizza, you have to learn Italian, right? I mean, I think it's it's going to go so slow for us if if we from the get go say to people, yeah, but you don't understand, you know, <laughs> you've been making yeah. you know rockets and ICBMs for like like whatever since they've been around, but you don't understand this one new cool thing, and you need to send your guy on a course, you know?
0: Yeah, I think I think yeah, it's important to have people you know go on the change journey with the customer, uh, and and even though we might be able to even make something out of a superior material, um, it's often a good idea to do that first, you know, test case or business case or proof of concept where you're creating more of an equivalent part. Uh, And then once you validate and say, yes, we can do that, then you can talk about now, how can we do this even better? Mm -hmm. We can do maybe a functionally graded material, or you can give up a little bit of surface finish, so that we don't have to do as much post processing. So those kind of things. But I think it's certainly a journey uh with, with the customers.
2: Is it difficult for you guys strategically? Because I've I've said before that we don't really have systems integrators for three for D printing. So, you know, there's just people claiming to do consultancy but they usually don't know anything. And and so is there a problem because you kind of continually turn torn to let's make the perfect box that the customer can use? Or let's customize this box so it's perfect for every single customer, or let's go on this long-term application development kind of project with them. You know, are you afraid that you're kind of like you know you're going to try and focus on these three things and kind of kind of miss the future or something? Or
0: you know, I think it, it depends on the customer, and and we're very customer focused, so we do what's best for the particular customer. Uh, in some cases, uh, we can just customize a system for them. And uh, they, they already have a, a very good baseline knowledge and additive, and they're ready to start making parts as soon as the system gets installed. And there's other customers that we know we're going we're gonna to spend you know, a year or maybe even longer with them developing their application, helping them with that business case, so that way they really understand you know, what they're getting into when they get our system it's certainly not to the point where you, you know, press a button and your part comes out and it's immaculate and perfect uh, the first time. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, people who don't have as much experience in the 3d printing industry, they might think that, um, and there's certainly some really good marketing, uh, you know, videos and that kind of thing on YouTube that, that sometimes make it look a little bit more, you know, like you press a button and the part comes out and it's amazing. Um, and it's, it's, it's not really like that. Um, you know, like you're mentioning, there's design for additive considerations that have to be made, there's process parameters that have to be developed. And then there's the, the post-processing side if you want it, you know, to have a, a machine looking finish to it. Um, so I think it's important for our customers to understand that full process. Um, and, you know, we, we bring customers in, their potential customers in on a regular basis and show them demos so they can see the full process and fully understand you know it's it's certainly not uh, a, a button press and their parts going to come out and it's going to be perfect
2: are you so at the moment you guys have a business it seems to be doing well do you, do you have an idea where you want to be in like a few years or
0: yeah we want to be the leader for directed energy deposition systems and solutions and i think we're certainly on our way in doing that uh, our focus uh, has been and will continue to be on innovation, so taking an existing technology that's becoming more mature and innovating around that core technology to get better quality parts, better in process monitoring, and the ability to in the future you know certify and qualify our our process and components um, and that's what we're going to do we're we're a company, and uh, we're all engineers uh, that work here, and uh, our primary goal and What motivates us is developing exciting new technology, and so we're going to continue to do that.
1: How many people are you now?
0: So right now we have a staff of about 8 to 12, and we're continuing to grow uh, every month. Uh, So we are really excited for what the future holds for us.
1: Can you disclose how many machines you've built?
0: Um, I prefer not to discuss uh, exactly how many machines (laughs) we've built, but we do have uh, a very good uh, install base, uh, they're being used in industry, they're being used at universities and research institutes, and of course then we have even a wider range of customers that uh, we do joint R&D projects with in-house.
2: And is this investor money, Are you have investors on board, or are you looking for them, or how does that work?
0: So we're not looking for any investors at the moment. Um, we are uh, moving forward with our path to developing and continuing to mature our technology. And um, we're doing so with our existing structure. And that's uh, what we're gonna be doing uh, for the foreseeable future.
1: I have a really (laughs) geeky question.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, I like those kinds.
1: With titanium, because I know titanium, if you're welding titanium, you have to use an over-oxygenated environment or a higher percentage of oxygen uh, to do a good welding. Do you have to do something similar with the powdered material? or do you have to flood the chamber with more oxygen as you then spark it with a laser, or do you not need to do that?
0: So with our systems, they can operate in an ambient environment or in an inert environment. And so for reactive metals like titanium, we would be using an inert environment. So our systems use argon gas. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can operate in, uh, in two different modes. They can operate in ambient mode where you can temporarily flood the chamber with argon, to process uh, with things like titanium and other reactive metals. We also have an option for closed loop environmental control. So once you get your oxygen levels low enough uh, and have done the initial flooding of argon, it's a closed loop environmental control that will continue to scrub the oxygen uh, out of the air and, and keep it that inert environment. And that's what we would recommend for applications where you know reactive metals and titaniums are being used more so than you know your your steals and uh, things like that.
2: So so you seem to be like you seem to be very very uh, sh- you know sure and happy that that you're in this place at the moment. Was it was it difficult to, to, to get this company off the ground? What were the what were kind of the things you 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 know you, the the problems you hit along the way?
0: So it was it was of course challenging uh, you know starting up uh, a, a new business, but in some ways uh, it was a great place to be and a great time to be where we were at. Um, we brought a working prototype to Rapid in 2016, and that was also our market validation. And once we did that, we initially got uh, customers like NASA and other you know, very large Fortune 500 companies you know, very interested in our technology, and that's really what got us off the ground and validated that, yes, there was certainly a need for our technology in the market, and that's what allowed us to uh, develop our, our next set of, of systems.
2: There are some companies that are bigger that do this. Uh, I mean, uh, like shocking and Optimac. Uh you've also got companies like Trump uh, or potentially even maybe at one point GE that are you know huge organizations that 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 uh, that can also enter that market. Is that something you think you're uh, you're kind of a bit afraid of or you think you're more nimble than they are or
0: well, I think one is we have some really good IP around our processing and our equipment uh, that that keeps us protected. But I also think it's our agility. We're a small team of engineers, uh, relative, relative, relatively compared to the large players, and that makes us very agile. So we can uh, brainstorm an idea and test it and deliver a working prototype within a couple months. And I think that's what allows us to you know, innovate and out-innovate our competition.
2: Mm-hmm. And do you have like people like salespeople and stuff like that, or not at all?
0: Uh, right now, we're primarily working with engineers. Um, we just find that in the space, uh, you have to be very knowledgeable, and we don't uh, we don't want someone that can just go sell a bunch of our systems. We want to ensure that it's a good fit for our customers and that we do some application development with that customer. Uh, and so right now, we have engineers uh, that are filling the functional role of, of sales, but we don't have a... More traditional sales operation, uh, where the goal is just to sell as many machines as possible.
1: Are you using the machines to make other machines, <laughs> like as in to help produce additional units? Are you using existing units? Uh,
0: we we it's we don't have a a self printing feature. I know some <laughs> of the uh, <laughs> some of the hobbyist printers do it, and that that's amazing. But um, no, we our our design is uh, fairly complex. Um, there are some parts that are three D printed. Um, across our system, uh, from you know the head to the powder feeder, um, but we certainly don't uh, have a, well, yeah, an overall self-printing self <laughs> yeah. uh, function. That would be pretty amazing, though. Maybe we'll get there in the future.
2: Uh, is this gonna like? Because in, in principle, one of the advantages we haven't really talked about is blown powder. The cost of this stuff is actually quite low, right, compared to the compared to like some of the DMLS powders, right?
0: Right. the The cut of the ded powder is larger. Uh, and then, you know, sometimes you can also use the waste product from the atomization process for a powder bed, and typically those powders are, you know, very cost-effective. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great space to be in and uh, certainly more cost-effective powders, safer powders, because you don't have as fine a powders that you have to worry about, you know, getting into the air and that kind of thing.
2: But also, do you see then? Because that also looks at like then we're looking at like weight saving on like something like a a chassis for a car, and then you know technically it's feasible, right? And and your deposition rates are quite high, right? It's, uh, we're talking like a couple of uh, was it pounds or kilos per hour, right? Right. Yep. So is automotive is is that something you could see in the future, or something like a, a chassis or something like that, or?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we've done some work in the automotive industry, uh, primarily more with tooling, um, but we've Uh done some uh, functionally graded materials for the automotive industry as well. And we're hoping to do more work in that sector.
2: Yeah, I think that's going to be a really, really exciting time. A lot of volume uh, uh, and stuff like that, I think. Uh, Max, do you have any more questions or anything you'd want to know?
1: I mean, there's lots more I'd like to know, but
0: uh, sure, sure. <laughs> well, give me a quality time.
1: Yeah, I think this is some really amazing um, stuff that you guys are doing, and that uh, there are obviously numerous applications. So I'm excited to see uh, this this coming to market, so to speak, because uh, I like this a lot better than the powdered bed version. Uh, I know it has different applications and different uh, uses, but uh, it's definitely very cool, and there's some very interesting stuff that you could do with this, so I look forward to seeing uh, where you guys go from here and, and how you develop even further.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we are very excited about what we're doing and what we're going to do in the future.
2: Oh, awesome. So, everyone, thank you very much uh, for listening in to the 3D pod. Uh, we're here today with Maxwell Vogue um, I'm Norris Peels, and we're here to – our guest today uh, was Melanie Lang a former lawyer. Uh, please do continue to support us and uh, please do continue to to give us your feedback and suggest guests to us or uh, and suggest things we should talk about. And I really would like to thank everybody for this episode and uh, thanks a lot for listening to The 3D Pod.
0: You've been listening to The 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3D print underscore
1: com.